nice to have you guys here. We're going to have an amazing day. How many of you are thankful for what God is doing in our life, right? How many of you are thankful that when the world is dark, that our light has the opportunity to shine brightly? And um, that's really what this month is all about. Um, sorry. <laughs> Danielle found this worship album, and it's like we've just been crying at home lately. It just... Yeah, it's so good because God is real. And sometimes God uses these opportunities where it seems like the world is in shambles to remind us that he's got everything under control. And sometimes it doesn't look that way and sometimes it doesn't feel that way and sometimes it doesn't seem that way. And sometimes situations in our life make us feel like God is anything but in control. And somehow, some way, God does the miraculous, and like the scripture says, he turns everything out for our good, which is crazy, finding yourself thankful that you went through some of the most difficult seasons in your life. Crazy. Whew. All right, we've got to change gears here, because this is not going to go well. Somebody tell me a joke or something. All right. Okay, so this month, um, we've been talking about uh, invisible, and you know, I, I love where we are right now, because... I think in the world, it's so important to understand that in the midst of all the voices, in the midst of all the tragedy, in the midst of all the uprising, in the midst of all the difficulties that people are facing, the world, whether they know it or not, needs Jesus. I think that's the thing, okay? It's remembering that as the church is that, you know, a lot of people are going to do a lot of things and say a lot of things, but can I tell you something? Masks are not gonna save humanity, right? Social distancing is not gonna save humanity. What's going to save humanity is the saving grace gospel message of Jesus Christ. And that's who we are. We are carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what people have said about you. It doesn't matter what people think about you. The Bible says that in you is a treasure. And that treasure is the message. It is the Holy Spirit that resides in you. And so that's what this month is all about. It's all about being the visible image of the invisible God. Last week, my dad opened it up talking to us about Jesus and who Jesus was and why Jesus was what he was, because his expressed purpose on earth was to show people who for thousands of years didn't have the ability to see God, Jesus shows up on the scene and begins to display physically to people what is the nature of this God that you serve. And, you know, when Jesus dies, we know the Bible tells us, instructs us very clearly that we are to go now in his stead and be the visible image to the world. In fact, the Bible says greater works so we are to display an even greater magnitude of the nature, the goodness, the personality, the characteristics of God. And I found myself asking this question in preparation for this month, you know, who am I, who am I emulating? Who is this God that I am to be the visible image of? Because I realized something, it's really easy to miss who it is. Isn't is that true, right? That Jewish people 
We read all throughout the Bible that, you know, Jewish people, that they are living and seeking and waiting on the Messiah, right? They, they're waiting on the, the culmination, this moment when their Messiah is going to come and he's going to free them from the bondage that they have been under, the, the, the separation that they had been under for thousands of years. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and, you know, you're thinking, this is it, he's here, and and what does the Bible say? It says the very people who were supposed to know God the most were the ones who rejected him. The Bible says that he was the cornerstone that most people stumbled over because they were searching for something. They were emulating someone. They were looking for the wrong things. And, you know, this morning we're going to start and, and I'm going to read from a very abstract and I'd say almost undiscovered portion of scripture. You know, it's, it's, it's very unique and it's rarely ever preached on. It's, it comes from this book called John, it's chapter 3 and verse 16. <laughs> you know, we're going to start there. You know, you guys can open your Bibles if you need to, uh, but I have this scripture memorized. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a preacher and in order to graduate from preaching school, this is the final exam. And, and John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, his only begotten son, that he gave. You know, there's so much in this verse. We could break it down and separate it and dissect it for weeks. But the beginning of this verse is, is this morning what I really want to focus on, because it's the beginning of this verse, honestly, that really captures my attention, right? And, and, and it reads like this, right? And I, in case you're wondering, I quote this from pure memory. It says, for God so loves the world. For God so loves the world. And you know, maybe that makes sense to you. You know, maybe there's no element of mystery in this for you. You know, maybe you have this intense theological, intellectual prowess. But for me, this concept, this very short passage of scripture makes very little sense. You know, recently I was reading this scripture. It showed up on my daily read and, you know, and, and I read it and I was like, wait, 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 wait a minute, God. God so loves the world. You know, let's come around this thought and, 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 and think about what the implications are, right? What does it mean that God, you know, God, the God who speaks words and, and galaxies are formed, right? That this God, our God, loves the world. See, we're going to talk about and break down this concept of what this means. Before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you with me in Buffalo online? Hope so. Hope you're cheering right now. I'll hear you in the spirit. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our life. That you're teaching us and instructing us to be the light. To be the visible image, the visible representation of you. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would challenge us, that you'd instruct us, that you'd change us. Because our desire is to be able to reach your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Go with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. It's going to pop up on the screen in a moment. 
It says this, for while we were still weak, some translations say, while we were still sinners, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Verse 8 says this, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ, while we rejected him, while we didn't know him, while we were disinterested, Christ dies for us, right? What's Paul doing here? Paul is painting a picture for us. He's talking about society and He's talking about the, the degree to which us as human beings are dedicated to one another. He's defining, in essence, the consistency of the love that we have one for another on this itty-bitty little planet called Earth, right? right? He's like, you know, in this place, in this time, on this planet, you know, maybe you'll find somebody who will die for a righteous person, right? You know, and here's the deal, right? Like maybe rarely, rarely would you find that superhero, right? That Batman that would die for, you know, a good person. But he goes on to say that, but God, God demonstrates this God that we are being the visible representation of this God, demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want us to take a minute and really let our brains wrap around this concept. Because the truth is we might be the only God that people see. God loves the world. He loves. He loves that he gave his most valuable gift. And the thing that's crazy to me is that he sent his son to die for bad people. Right? He sends his son to die. And, and I, I've recently had this thought. He sends his son to die for this, this, this group of individuals where he has absolutely no guarantee whatsoever how these people are going to respond. In fact, the Bible says that he does it while we were still sinners, while we were actively living out a lifestyle that is completely and utterly disinterested in this guy. But yet in this moment, God chooses to love us. God loves the world. You ever heard of the term groupie? Right? Just, and just bear with me for a moment here as we digress for a moment, you know, but, but just even in a generic sense, right? You know, a groupie is a term that has really been made popular in pop culture, uh, but essentially a groupie is a fanatic, right? A groupie is, you know, it's a fan, but how many of you know it's not just a fan? right? It's a groupie is someone who has this absolute crazy obsession with an artist or a performer or an actor or a person. And so much so that oftentimes we hear that, that groupies will actually start to stalk 
the person that, right, like, they're like, if they're there, I'm there, and if they're here, and oftentimes I wonder, where do groupies make all the money that they're able to, like, tour around the world with these people so that every opportunity they can have to be with this person, they are there because they are obsessed, right? And in their mind, right, there's absolutely no question whatsoever, you know, uh, like, uh, as soon as Justin Bieber sees how much I love him, right, there's going to be one less lonely girl, right? And I'm going to be his baby, 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 right? And I'm so convinced that, that once he sees me, I'm going to be the object of his affection and we're going to live, JB and I, we're going to live happily ever after. Right now, some of you, I can see your faces, right? As you, we laugh and we giggle and we smirk and we're just like, oh, groupies, Right? Maybe some of you were a groupie and you're thinking back to some strange times in your life. And, but let me ask you, this attitude that we have towards groupies, where does this thought process, where does this attitude come from? And, and you know, I'll tell you where this thought process comes from uh, because we all know something in this room. Hopefully you know it. If you are a groupie, we could pray for you after service. But we know something about groupies in that groupies are, by definition, they are deceived, right? And, you know, if you ever get a chance or you've ever had a chance to sit down with one of these diehard fans, right? You, you know, you'd probably sit down and say, you know, like, listen, young lady, you know, you are, you're, you're gorgeous, you're beautiful, and oh, God loves you. But I got to tell you something, Justin... He does not. Right? It's like, in fact, sweetheart, I mean, I don't know how to break this to you, but Justin doesn't even know that you exist. Right? And, you know, my, my daughter, she's somewhere running around in here. You know, she's one, almost two. But I'm already, as a dad, preparing for the day that she inevitably develops one of these crushes. You know, I'm, I'm rehearsing and going over my speech in my head so, so that when the day comes, you know, I, I just need to be able to let her know. It's just, sweetie, it's, I know you think he knows you, and I know you think that he has posters of you on his wall, but, but baby, I got to tell you, he doesn't know. Why? Because I don't want her to feel, what, left, let down. I, I'm protecting her. I, I realize that you're going after something that there's absolutely no chance of reciprocation. And, you know, the other day I read John 3.16, and I read it, and I was like, you know, like, whoa, whoa, hold, like, hold on a minute. God so loves the world. You know, I'm like, okay, this is, this is not good. And I find myself in my conversation with the Lord, I'm like, you know, God, this is, this is really not good, right? That, you know, God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that, that whosoever, and I'm like, whosoever? Like, God, whosoever? You sent your son to just die for whosoever? And, you know, and, and God so loves the world. And, and just bear with me for a second because I had this honest urge, to pull God into my bedroom with me and, and sit him on my bed and, and really to, you know, break the news to God and let him know, you know, God, and, you know, this is a really awkward conversation, God, because I'm just me and, you know, you're you and, and I don't really know how to tell you this, but this world that you are so wildly obsessed with, you know, and 
weirdly enough, peculiar to people who are bad and disinterested. And, you know, I, I noticed that you're super, super obsessed with those people. And, you know, it's like you're following people everywhere. And, you know, you know, God, I, I read recently that, you know, while we sleep, you you watch us. And, you know, God, this is honestly getting kind of weird. And, you know, this, this isn't really a good look for you. And, you know, you're the God of the universe. And, you know, God, I just, I don't want you to get hurt. And, but you're just extending yourself so far out there. And you're giving so much to people. And, and, and chances are, God, I, I don't really know. I mean, I think you should be a little bit pickier because you're giving so much to people who honestly, this is too much. This is you're taking on too much. This is like, God, you, you love everybody. And, and I saw this, right? Because God loves people who will never love him back. And it gets crazier than that. As I'm thinking down this hole, I'm realizing that God knows everything. The Bible says he knows from the end, from the beginning. And that means that God loves people obsessively that he knows Actually, let's take it a step further and get a little bit crazier, is that Jesus takes added pain on his body to die for and be the sacrifice for people that he knows will never acknowledge it, will never reciprocate it. And I started thinking to myself, God, why is such an intense obsession with people who will never reciprocate. We're like, God, this is super awkward. You know, I don't know how to tell you this, but honestly, man, I feel like I can call you man. You're starting to sound a little bit like a groupie, you know, like, God, you, you, you got to stop this. And, and I realized something. He can't. You know that, right? He can't, he can't help himself. Literally, God can't help himself from obsessively going after his children. I realize this is because God, God doesn't do love. God doesn't have love. God is love. He's obsessed. You know, have you ever seen a mom or a dad with a bad case of the soul loves? That's what I'm going to call it, right? I mean, like, they just so love their kid, right? Like, I got to be honest, I have a bad, bad case. <laughs> I got a bad case of the soul loves for my kid, right? My daughter recently realized that she loves horsey rides, and I found myself giving her horse rides until my knees were bleeding from brush burns because I got a case of the soul loves, right? I got a case and it's not logical. There's no mathematical equation. It's absolutely ridiculous, but I'm just so obsessed with this little human that I partly created. Now, 750 years before Jesus will come onto the planet to ultimately solve the sin problem, God's extraordinary, ridiculous, illogical, unconventional, over-the-top love shows up on full display. It's a young man by the name of Hosea. Hosea. 750 years before Jesus was born, 
we read that Hosea was chosen by God to be a prophet, right? He is immediately following a prophet by the name of Amos, and the Bible says that he lives in the northern parts of Israel. Now, many prophets, if you ever get a chance to read through the Old Testament, many of the prophets get a rather peculiar assignment, right? For example, the prophet Isaiah, who was charged by God to walk around the streets butt naked for three years. Not like an afternoon, not like a run out to grab the paper and run back. Three years long. But dare I say that Hosea in the Bible is given the most exceptional, ridiculous, and truthfully slightly embarrassing assignment, right? You'll find that most of the prophets in the Old Testament, they did not just speak about their prophecies, but they were actually given the physical assignment to live out, to be a picture for people to see the word that God had to speak to the nation. So God calls Hosea, and Hosea is going to be a prophet. A prophet is just a speaker for God. In the Old Testament, God assigned or designed different people, and those people were the people that God would use and speak through. Right? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I don't exist in the Old Testament. That today, right now, while you're sitting here, you can be a prophet for the Lord and that you can hear what God has to speak to you about your life. But in Hosea's day, it wasn't like that. Hosea was designated, and you'll see it's typically a very select handful of people that are chosen to be the voice of God to the entire nation. So God calls Hosea and says, you know, okay, Hosea, right? Here is your assignment if you choose to accept it, right? And I can just imagine his excitement, right? Like when God shows up and something happens where someone pours oil on your head and puts this weird cloak on and you feel like, yes, this is it. This is my moment. I can't wait to hear what God has to speak to me. And God shows up to Hosea and said, Hosea, here is your assignment. I want you to marry a prostitute. And honestly, there's not much explanation initially that explains to us why God is asking him to do this. In fact, that is still very similar to the way that we hear God today. That there is typically very little beyond the next step that God speaks to us. But to Hosea, God simply says, this is what I want you to do. Go and do it. So Hosea does. He, he goes and he marries a prostitute, and the prostitute's name is Gomer. Gomer, right? Super bummer of a name. <laughs> Sorry to anyone out there whose name is Gomer. He fixed Gomer, and for a while, you know, things are going pretty good, right? The, the Bible says, you know, they have a baby boy, and then they have a baby girl, 
and then they have another baby boy. And, and, and it would seem initially as you read through the story that Hosea is defying the odds, you know, and, and what is it, you know, maybe two or three years that go by and, and their marriage, you know, against all odds seems to be going relatively well until one morning. The Bible says that the prophet of God wakes up and Gomer is nowhere to be found. He notices you know, she's not in bed and probably not too much panic there. He's thinking, you know, maybe she's going to grab my coffee. And so he goes down into the kitchen and she's not there and goes in the kid's room and she's not there. He checks the closets and the bathrooms and, and she's gone. He's a single dad. He has three kids. And remember, as a prophet, he is arguably one of the most famous people in all of Israel. This isn't happening to somebody just behind the scenes. This is somebody that everybody in the entire nation would be familiar with who he was, what was happening in his life. And, and I mean, if you let yourself get into that story for even just a moment, the embarrassment that he would feel as a parent, as oh, this just didn't go the way it was supposed to go. And, you know, and I can just imagine, you know, I'm supposed to be this beacon of hope for, for all of Israel. And I can't even keep my wife at home. And, and really, we don't, we are unsure absolutely of what happens after this. But one thing that I do know is I'm sure that he had some dark nights. And, and the scripture says that eventually God comes to Hosea and says to Hosea, you know, Hosea, listen, here's the plan. Go find her. And he's like, okay, yeah, like, yeah, I could do that. And then God says, and marry her again. He'd be like, again? And God says, yep, that's it. Go, go and find her and, and marry her again. And, and he says, you know, we read in the scriptures, okay, God, and, and, and this is where we pick up the story in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, and it says this, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with a love cake of raisins is... Essentially, what the scripture is talking to us about is that is <laughs> that they're just enamored by the things of this world, that their attention is not is no longer on God. And now you have to remember that Hosea is smack dab in the middle of a culture, right? He is he's literally smack dab in the middle of the nation of Israel. And and if you look historically back, uh, this, at this particular time in history, the nation of Israel is experiencing unprecedented growth and prosperity. Good things are happening all over the place, right? Their culture, their civilization is firing on all cylinders, and absolutely everything is going just the way that it seems. And, and, and in this passage of Scripture, we see that love takes a very predominant theme. But, but, but historians will say that at this particular point in culture, 
love was also one of the central themes in their culture, right? right? And, and they, they essentially had three primary philosophies about love. The number one is that they believe that love can be purchased, right? Israel had entered into a season in time where they believed that through the purchasing of something, love could be acquired. The second thing it says is that Israel believes at this time that love is simply the pursuit of self-gratification. And third is that love is found and can be discovered with inanimate objects or things. And I was reading this study about Israel in the time of Hosea, and I thought that this sounds eerily similar to the world that we live in in this day. That, our cult, that, that the concept of love in our culture has become intensely convoluted, right? Love you, man. Love you, sweetie. Love the ice cream, right? Love the cars. In this culture and in ours, the concept of love had become so convoluted and God shows up in the scene as if to show and demonstrate his love as it pierces through the convoluted cultural concepts of what love is. And God says that I will demonstrate to my people what love really is. In fact, as I was studying about this, I read that one scholar wrote that other than the crucifixion, you know, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, undoubtedly, the story of Hosea and Gomer is the greatest expression and demonstration of God's love in all of the scriptures. So Hosea gets an assignment, go and look for her. And he does. You know, what was that like? You know, he's got to go look for his wife, and where he's looking for his wife, men of God, they shouldn't be there. Right? You have to understand something. Hosea was a famous figure at this time in Israel. Right? He's a holy man. He's a seer. He's a, he's a prophet, and and God gives him this assignment. He says, go down to the red light district. Go down to the brothels. And there, find your wife. So he goes right to, to that part of the town, right? If, if you know what I mean. And, you know, you could see him as he walks through there. That Everybody knows him. And you could imagine the whispers he doing here and you know he's you know hey you know how are you as he undoubtedly approaches people that are in the industry and have you seen gomer and oh gomer yeah your girl and, yeah have you seen her i haven't seen her in a while and oh yeah uh i'm in no yeah no sorry i I haven't seen her in a while, and, and he keeps walking and asking, and 
You know, as I was reading this, I wondered if he comes up to some guys and he says, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but um, have you, have you seen my wife lately? And, and oh man, uh, I, uh, I don't know how to say this. I, I, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know you guys were still together, right? I, I did actually, I saw her just a few days ago, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry, Jose, and no, it's okay. Thanks, I'll, I'll keep looking. And, and over and over and over. Till finally he walks up and where does he see Gomer? She's on the, 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 the selling block. She's, she's in the sex slave industry. She's, she's being sold in. And what most scholars believe is that when he found her, he walks into an auction that's happening. And, and I want you to see this. He, he walks into an auction and that's his wife. You know, I can imagine he bursts in, he's like, excuse me, like, hold this stuff, like, that's my wife, and, and the auctioneer's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, like, I, I don't care, and, you know, she's mine, she's my property, she's for sale, and this is the price, and I thought about what was it like for Gomer, you know, as she's standing there, and she probably can't even look at Hosea. She never fathomed that he would come down here, that he would be seen in this part of the town, let alone would he come and pay the price for her and the option. And, you know, I think about, does he have to outbid other bidders in order to buy back his wife? And, and scripture says that as it happens, he ends up paying 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley, you know, 15 scripturally, is a number that, that's scripturally speaking of the divine energy of God towards humanity. And, and five, as we know, is the number of grace, and, and silver represents divinity, and, and the, bars of, the, 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 the bushes of barley is representing humanity. And, and God is in this very moment painting a picture of the gospel to display to us his affection and his love towards us as humanity. And, and Hosea steps in and says, I'll pay Whatever the price is. And, and, and I stop myself as I read this and I say, wait a second, Hosea, she's already yours. And it's as if Hosea steps in and says, but I'll pay whatever to get back what's already mine. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yet God sends his only son to spill his sacred blood to purchase back what's already his. For humanity is the peculiar, unique possession of its creator. And yet he comes and pays the price. We're already his, right? Buffalo, can I tell you, you are already his. In case you didn't know it, you are already his. And Hosea says, it's okay, I will pay the price for her. And, and then he, he, he pays the price. And then it, this is what's cool is that he proceeds to renew his vows 
to Gomer. And that's what he's doing here. And it says in verse chapter three, and it says, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. And then, and then the spirit of God comes on Hosea. And right there, after he buys his wife back from the sex slave industry, he starts prophesying about Israel. Verse 4 says he starts to prophesy about the days to come. He says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to the goodness in his latter days. Now, I want to make sure we understand Hosea doesn't actually mean David, right? He's using the name of David because he doesn't yet know the name of Jesus, right? David in scripture is simply a messianic stand-in, right? The Bible says that, that they will call Jesus the son of David. And so Hosea is just doing the very, very, the very best that he can to speak about the days that are coming where Jesus will come and buy back his children who've been lost to a dying world. It says there will come a day where they will have a king. And it goes on to say, afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to, the good, to his goodness in the latter days. And, and but here's the thing. These were not those days. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, we'll notice that there is a recurring theme about God in scriptures, that people lived in fear, in terror of the judgment of God and his wrath. But Hosea stands in, right, having just purchased his wife back and, and prophesies about a new order, about a new era that's to come, about a new day where there will be a new covenant and there will be a messianic king, right? And it says that in those days, people will be in awe of his goodness, right? Which reminds me as I'm reading through this that the Bible tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads men's hearts to repentance. So who is Hosea? Hosea means salvation and Gomer means completion, right? Who is, who's Hosea? Hosea is, that's our God, right? That's, that's our Savior, Jesus. And I found myself asking this question, who's Gomer? It's me. It's you, it's us. It's, and he won't stop searching for us. That this is the image of the God that we have been asked to portray. The God who won't stop, the God who won't give in, the God who will search the most despicable and horrible pockets of this planet in order to find us and to pay the price for us. This is the God. This is who we are called to emulate. And Jesus, he is our Hosea. He completes us, that there's nothing that needs to be added. There's 
absolute completion when we meet our Hosea because he paid our price. This is the message that we have to give people that they feel lost and broken and dirty and that there's no way they could be forgiven or seen and they feel the shame and the condemnation and stuff has been heaped on them and things haven't gone the way they were supposed to go and God, where have you been and why did this happen? Why did you allow this? And all the questions and God stands in as our Hosea and says, I'll search for you and I'll pay for you, right? Jesus says, do you remember in Matthew chapter nine, he's sitting and he's, He's sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners in Matthew chapter 9. And, and the religious people, they start to complain to Jesus. And, and Jesus goes and starts quoting the book of Hosea, right? He says this. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have come, right? This is who we emulate. I have come to seek and save the lost, for I have not come for those who think themselves to be righteous, but those who know they are lost and they are desperate. What's Jesus saying to these people? He's saying, I am your Hosea. I am the one that you've been searching for. And, and you realize in this, who's, who's he talking to? He's, he's talking to the Jews who would know about Hosea, who would have heard the great story, this great love affair of Hosea and Gomer. And, and he's saying, right, I am your Hosea. I am your salvation and, and I will go and I will look for you and, and I will find you and search for you and I will pay whatever price is necessary. And I realize something. When we become Hosea's in the story of people's lives, it's not a neat and tidy thing when you go to save Gomer's. But I'll tell you what ends up happening is, right, when you realize that you are Gomer. When I realize that I belong there, it dawns on you that there are more Gomers out there. And all of a sudden, it's like you realize this is why I'm here. This is what this is all about. This is what I've been missing. This is what I haven't been able to see is my very purpose is to shine a light and search for people and find people and pay whatever price is necessary to bring people into a place of relationship with their Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.10 says it like this. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and send his son to be the propitiation for our, for our sins. Beloved, if God loves us, so we also love one another. And then it goes on to say this in the next verse. When we become this, when we become this love, when we lay aside all the stuff like Israel does that distracts us, all, all the forms of love that can fill the spots of our lives. And I realize this. This is how people see the invisible God. Right? This changes you. It changes you when you realize 
that you're Gomer. It, it changes you when you realize what Hosea has done for you. It, it changes you when you realize you are complete in him, that you are accepted, you're loved, you're forgiven. It changes you when you realize nothing can change this position I have because of what Christ says. And what wells up on the inside of you is you realize I'm going to do whatever it takes to let as many Gomers know about the love of Hosea. Because can I tell you that person in your life, that situation, that person is someone's son, it's someone's daughter, it's someone's mother or their child, that, that these people that we're realizing, these people matter, it matters to us, it matters to God, and, and they need to see their kinsman redeemer, the lover of their souls, they need to see this Jesus. And the Jesus that people are searching for, this Jesus is in you. And this morning as I close, I felt like God wanted me to ask you one very, very simple question. Will you go after Gomer? Come on, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Online, if you're out there, I'm just encouraging you to just take a second. In Buffalo, I'm asking you to just take a second. And we want to leave changed. We don't want to hear a great message and laugh and cry and go out and be the same way. But we want to be the visible image of the invisible God. So I'm asking right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one's looking around. If that's you this morning and you say, yes, God, I will. I will go after the gomers that you have placed in my life. I'm going to ask you to do one very simple thing. I'm going to ask you, when I count to three, I want you to just slip your hand up and put it right down. There's something that happens, I believe, when we make a physical act. It's like it solidifies something on the inside of us. If that's you and you say, yes, I'll go, Count of three. One, two, three. Slip your hand up. See hands all over the room. All over the room. Father, I pray for every man, every woman, every child under the sound of my voice. Lord, we are responding to your call. Lord, like Hosea did for Gomer, like you did for us, so we will be the hope for others. I'm asking, Father, that you would show us, illuminate our eyes, cause us to see the hurting, the broken, the downtrodden. Lord, let us not be so caught up with our own lives and our own agendas that we miss the very people that you put in our life. Give us the words, the boldness, whatever's necessary to be the people you've called us to be. And one last thing before we close, you can keep your head bowed and eyes closed. I want to pray for you. If you hear this story and you have, you don't know Jesus, maybe you're sitting here in Buffalo online in, in this room right now and you feel like, man, I'm Gomer. My story is Gomer. Things didn't go the way they were supposed to go. And you want to either, one, give your life to Jesus, where you said, I need Gomer. Or secondly, is that you want to, rededicate your life to him. 
where you'd say, I've let stuff, life, junk, garbage, disappointments, frustrations get in the way of my relationship with you, and I want to see you once again for the God, the Savior that you are. I'm going to ask very simply <clears throat> that you just repeat this prayer after me. The Bible says that when we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Savior, that he came and died for our sins, that we'd be saved. On the count of three, let's say this together. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, sent from heaven to die for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Dwell in me, Holy Spirit. Use my life to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name.